friends. Welcome to Womankind. I'm here in episode 53 with my latest guest, who is Donna Sager-Cowan. She's a children's author and a speaker and an inspirer. Hi, Donna. Hi. How are you this morning, Kelsey? I'm great, except it's late afternoon here on the other side of the country. (laughs) Well, it's a little weird. I'm on the West Coast, so the times are a little different. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually thinking that before we got on the the line with each other here. I was like, wow, she has like the whole day left after we're done. Yep. yep. I like that. (laughs) Um, So, Donna, tell us a little bit. First and foremost, we'll talk about your book. So... Tell us a little bit about With the Courage of a Mouse, this, and it's part of the Superhero School series. And so this is book one. Is this the only book that's out at this point? Um, yes, it is the only book that is available to purchase right now. I am furiously working on book two. Uh, we just kind of settled on the title for book three. So book two is supposed to be out this year in November, and oh, then um, we'll uh, follow up with book three, but... Here we go, book book one with the courage of the mouse. You can see it behind me too. Um, This book, I love this book because it is supposed to be for children from ages seven to 12. But what I find is most of my reviews from adults are saying that they love the book, they couldn't put it down, and that they didn't think it was a children's story. They thought it was for everybody, which oh, is I love it's that. an amazing <laughs> review. Yeah, it's like, and and it's interesting how this story came about. It is about a um a cat and a mouse that meet under unusual circumstances and um, become friends and learn to kind of deal with their own um, issues outside of being supposed enemies and um, go through superhero school and, and eventually figure out that, you know, they don't really need the school to teach them how to be superheroes. And so that's kind of what the series is about is about, you know, empowering kids and giving them, um, a lesson in recognizing those things within themselves that empower them and that make them um, stronger and more self-aware um, and to build up their self-esteem and self-reliance and to kind of solve their own problems. Mm-hmm. So um, I love it. It started with a, um, a bedtime story for my grandchildren. One of my granddaughters was asking me about one of my actual cats And um, I came up with this crazy story about that she actually was the real cat woman and she was going out and saving her friends at night. And that's why she was so tired when she would come back. (laughs) So so, um, this this, um, series and story takes us all the way back to the beginning of uh, when she became a superhero. So we follow her through going through superhero school to be a superhero. So I hope everyone enjoys it. I love the book. I love writing the book. Um, The next in the series, book two, is With the Curiosity of a Cat. And then we'll follow that up with The Passion of a Pig. Okay, so each book will have a different set of characters, or are they characters that you've seen in the previous book? Um, we will we will say stay with the superhero school series with the the main set of characters. We will add and subtract. Mm-hmm. It's like we'll have some characters from book one that won't appear in book two, but they will appear throughout the series. So okay. um, we are pretty much um, maintaining the series around Cat and Simon. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So as far as writing and writing children's books, is this something that you've always wanted to do? Or or was it something that just kind of found you in that moment with your granddaughter? Well, it's, it's an odd question that I get asked. And yes, and no, (laughs) I 
have been writing for a very long time, for probably 45 years now. I know people are going, well, of course you've been writing for that long. You're, you know, you're not an idiot. But, but no, I've actually been writing stories. You know, I started when I was pretty young because I kind of felt left out. You know, I was in a, from a large family and it's like you tend to get lost in the crowd a little mm-hmm. bit. And so um, I didn't have playmates. So I would just make them up. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, draw and write stories, you know, of me going on these adventures with these imaginary playmates. And so I've been writing since then. You now I've tried different genres, but I always do come back to the children's um, genre, um, specifically what we would consider middle grade, which is the, the 7 to 12 year old age range. And uh, because I like telling the longer stories and I like that they still are ready to learn something from a story, which I think as, as we get older, you know, it becomes more entertainment and fantastical and, and things that, you know, could never happen. And, uh, and at this age range, I love the fact that they, they are, they're still ready to, to get something out of each story, which I love. <laughs> Absolutely. So that being said, what, and you said, mentioned this a little bit already, what do you want those children to take away as they're reading the story, the series? Well, you know, I, I, again, I want them to, to recognize that we all have that superhero with inside of us. We're just waiting for that spark to ignite it, to, to go out and be ourselves. And we have everything that we need inside of ourselves to be, you know, amazing. We just have to trust. And then, we also have to recognize that whatever it is that we feel that we're lacking is not the thing that we should focus on. We should focus on the things we have because I guarantee you there is somebody out there that desperately needs what you have and they don't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's it's more about finding that other puzzle piece that, that fits together with you in friendships, in relationships, in in all the things in your life. It's 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 not about what... I'm not enough of. It's about what I do have to offer. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really strong message. And it also has this element of, you know, of individuality, but also working together, which I think children of that age could really benefit from those lessons. Well, yeah, because, you know, as we, you know, we go through this really fast paced world, we're becoming more and more isolated. We are, you know, all of our social interactions are through mediums, you know, they are through electronics, they are through, you know, cell phones, through social media portals. And, and, you know, even, you know, you and I speaking here, it's like, we're not in the same room. And it does change things. And it, it often makes it very difficult when people do have to interact one or one or in large groups, they really don't have the experience, or the education to know how to react or how to act. And when things go awry, they're just like, oh, wow, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, so I just think that, you know, that through the story, we can show them that, you know, it's, it's okay to be kind of a little out of your element and to be a little nervous that, you know, it's okay because everybody else is exactly the same way as you are. It's like they may seem confident in control, but most likely they're shaking in their boots just as much as you are. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, that's interesting to think about, especially like younger children. I mean, they've grown up in a world where, you know, you have a computer in your pocket and they don't know anything different from that. And so 
you know, they don't have those experiences of interacting like face to face and taking away things from those interactions. And so can you talk a little bit about how the characters in the book kind of lend itself to that lesson? Like, who kind of sticks out to you as like an individual and well, you know, we have the, the you know, the two main characters, we have Cat Cat and Simon Cheddar, who is a mouse. Now, Cat comes to the story, you know, as a cat from the real world, and she stumbles into this uh, anthropomorphic world with all of these animals that can walk and talk and act like people. And she has been abandoned by her owners, and she's kind of living on her own and not really doing a very good job of it because she doesn't know how. She's never been taught. And so she's very fearful. She's um, not trusting, and she feels very abandoned and alone and that everything is her fault because she's the only person she can turn to. And then we have Simon Cheddar, who's the mouse on the other side, that's led a pretty protected life. You know, in Mouseville, most of his life, he's been kind of large and in charge. You know, he's the grandson of one of the original founding members. And so he's looked up to and he gets to make all these grand plans and and things work out for him. And at the point where they meet at the beginning of the story, neither one of them are having their plans go as they imagined. And so they find that within each other, you know, Cat is so afraid. She's so afraid to do anything almost to the point where she's afraid to move. She she questions everything that she says. She questions everything that she does. And she constantly questions what the other person's ulterior motive is. And then we have Simon that has, you know, no filter. It's like, you know, he has an idea. This is how he's going to get there. And he doesn't take into consideration anybody or anything else. It's just a straight line for him. And so the two of them clash and realize that, you know, a lot of their problems are in not talking to each other and not relying on each other, that as long as they work together and they point out these flaws in the other person and help them, then they do so much better as when they are on their own throughout the story, they actually get themselves into more and more trouble. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to give away too much of, like, what happens next, because I want people to read the book. <laughs> well, I do, too. I really want to read the book. But, you know, there is so much going on in that book. Mm-hmm. I could probably tell you half the story, and you would still not guess what happens in the end. <laughs> oh, that's good. Those are the best stories. Um, and there are some, like, beautiful illustrations here. Who, Where did those come from? I'm looking well, at them that was, you know, that was a part of my journey in writing this book. It took me two years to write this book. And, you know, I had some, some issues. A lot of them were with my own self-esteem and my um, believing in myself that I could do this, that anybody wanted to read it. Um, There were some issues with my mother, um, you know, becoming really ill and I did end up losing her. And that was very difficult for me because she was kind of my biggest cheerleader And then I found um, Diane Reed uh, as an illustrator um, on Instagram of all places. So, you know, I don't discount, you know, the social media. I mean, it's great for for what we use it for. But, um, you know, we were just starting on this journey where, you know, the book was finished. We're working on the illustrations and she um, she had a stroke and she was in a coma for, you know, three months, three and a half months. And, um, when she woke up, she had to relearn how to walk and to talk and to draw and everything. And she was so encouraged by this and the fact that I wouldn't give up on her because mostly because I was being selfish. I really didn't want to go find a new illustrator. (laughs) It gave her what she needed 
you know, in her courage to go out and fight back and, you know, and come back in, you know, in a four month period of time and do these illustrations, which I find amazing. Now she, she'll sit there and tell you that there's all kinds of problems with them and this should be better. And then I'm like, you know what, that's okay. It's our first book. We can come back better next time. Oh my gosh. That's, I, I didn't know that there was like, tragedy in a way undergirding this experience I'm so sorry about your mother and I'm so sorry that you had to you know but, wait on you know, that but you know what I, I as hard as it was to get through I really think it um it changed the story because I did go back and do a couple of major rewrites after these things happen because they do change how I think and how I feel as a writer and I think it made it a better story. I think it made it, um, you know, more compassionate and more, um, you know, dealing with these emotions, you know, through the, through the story. I mean, I I don't get hard and heavy into the emotions, but I, I really do think that they do come across in, in the book that, you know, we all, you know, have challenges in our lives. There are always going to be things that you have to overcome. They just, they are just part of life. You know, life is that is the journey that we survive. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is about being a survivor. And so, you know, that it had such a remarkable happy ending is the part that I want people to remember. Not, you know, not all the things that we went through, although they are part of the story. Mm-hmm. The fact is that she did get better. She was able to draw this and we came out with a what I believe is a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> but then I'm a little partial. <laughs> well, I think it's important that you love the book, especially because, you know, like you just said, there is a lot of your own story in there. You know, it may be a story about a cat and a mouse that can talk, um, which maybe isn't necessarily something that can happen in real life. But think about books like Charlotte's Web, where you have mm-hmm. talking animals and people throughout time have always connected with those characters and the emotions. I, I think it has a similar impact. Right. Well, it, you know, there there was a good reason why I went with the animal characters is because they're considered non-judgmental to children, which I really wanted them to feel like it wasn't a comparison of their life to the character in the story. I wanted them to see, you know, these are ordinary characters and you could be them or you could learn something from them. They could be your friend. They could be your neighbor. They could be anyone in your life. In fact, I, I have <laughs> I have a friend of mine that read it early on before it was published, and she's like, I find this so funny that I find a little bit of you in every one of these characters. And I'm like, well, you know, that's actually a good thing because it, it's, you know, being able to separate myself into all of these different things. And that's another thing that I want to, you know, tell people is that, you know, you are so many different things all at once. You know, it's really hard to define what and who you are based on all the things that's happened to you. They make you into kind of these little splintered pieces of yourself that that all blended together make you and make you unique. And that's why there can be never another person like you. Mm-hmm. I love that. That My next question was going to be, why did you choose animals? So now you answered that question. Oh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> But yeah, I really, I do like that idea that, you know, because it's not like you made the characters look a certain way. So then if a child comes across the book and they're like, oh, this character doesn't look like me, I could never do that. 
that isn't even an issue. It's like, do I like cats? Maybe I do. Maybe I could be like this cat in the book. Do I like mice? Maybe I do. Um, So I do like that. It makes it a little bit easier to project yourself onto the characters. Yes. And, and, you know, and it gives them, you know, also kind of some background information that I do try to throw in there. You know, um, you know, Simon famously says, you know, I believe it's in chapter two that he says, you know, Mice wear fear like an old shirt because it's worn and comfortable. And it's the only thing they've ever known. Mm-hmm. And this is true. And it's like, so I want, you know, these kids to also think, you know, you know, who, who else is living a life like that? You know, mm-hmm. because a lot of them do, you know, they are so comfortable in their misery that they don't think about other options for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I want them to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, very interesting. Thank you. <laughs> I actually had an opportunity um, last month. I was in L.A. for the L.A. Times Festival of Books, and I was fortunate enough to get to do a presentation for the Midnight Mission Home Light Program, which I love. It is a program where they are helping families with children um, get back on their feet again because you know these these kids are put in a situation that they can do nothing about and they have no responsibility for it but they all do feel very responsible and very much like it's their own fault and so I did want to go and talk to them and try and inspire them and I had one of the older children come up to me he's actually beyond the age range of this book but he said to me he's like I am so glad that I get to have this book, he says, because you know how hard it is to explain to somebody what it's like being homeless. And I'm like, yes, I do. And he's like, and then he goes, that's what I love about this book. He goes, because I can say here, read this part. This is what it's like. Mm-hmm. This is how I feel. He said, because a lot of times I can't put those words into, or those emotions into words. And he's like, and you've done that. And he goes, no, I love it. He goes, even if only just, reference to tell somebody else what it's like Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh my gosh yeah that's so powerful (laughs) that made writing that book worth everything to me so even if it was just that one child in my lifetime that loved that book I am beyond thrilled (laughs) yeah I mean sometimes all it takes is one and that's yes you got it (laughs) yeah but that, I mean, that's, you know, and that's kind of my idea behind this podcast, too, a little bit, is it's storytelling. And I think that we learn so much, whether we know it or not, through hearing other people tell their stories or finding characters in a book that we relate to. And like you said, it kind of gives words that you can't find sometimes. And I think that's right. important. Right, you know, and it's like, I, you know, I have no problem with somebody quoting me or quoting from these characters. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it is powerful. And that is, you know, part of what I did when the final rewrite is I wanted to go back and actually make the story, you know, where it was powerful, where it wasn't watered down. I wanted them through this exciting adventure where things are constantly happening all the time, because that's kind of the way our lives are now. It's like, we're under so much pressure. And it's like time is a commodity that most of us don't have. And so I wanted them to feel the excitement of the characters going through this adventure. But I also wanted them to feel the pressure of time. And so that was that was important factor to the book. And I I really think that it's something that adults miss 
in that they are under time crunch all the time. But I think they forget that the children are also feeling that. And it's, you know, I, I, I say this a lot. It's like we live in a monkey see, monkey do world. What are you letting the monkey see you do? And it's like if they have their lives filled with all of these activities and doing everything and, you know, everything's hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. This is the way their children react. They emulate what they see. And so they they fill them they fill their lives with all of these busy activities, and so I, I want them to see that there really are two sides that you can kind of slow down and solve your problems, even when you're in this crazy world. Mm-hmm. Oh so. yeah, there definitely needs to be more modeling of that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Of well, you know, down. I, yeah, and you know, that's, that's part of it. It's just, you know, it's, it's an education thing. It's like, you know, we live in a world of, you know, everything being sound bites. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we, a lot of people don't have time to sit down and read an entire book. Mm-hmm. So, but it's so important. I mean, I could like, I loved like chapter books when I was a young mm-hmm. kid and I loved going to the library and picking out the ones that I wanted and I could totally see myself picking out this book. <laughs> well, I, I, that, that is amazing to me. I love it. You know, it's like we did, you know, we did have some, um, actual advice on how to lay out the book. You know, we did try to keep the, the chapters between a 15 to 20 minute read so mm-hmm. that it falls within their, um, you know, the request for reading, you know, usually from their, um, instructors, but also it gives them the sense of, progression where they are going through these chapters very, very quickly. And, um, so I know it's a little daunting. It is, it is 36 chapters. I, one chapter is, um, chapter one from book two, but again, they are about a, you know, 15 minute read on average for each chapter. So it does progress pretty quickly. I know that I would, I do have students that would open the book and say, 36 chapters, no way. But once we got going, they'd be fine with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, So tell me a little bit more about um, what you do as a speaker. Um, Is it just related to the book or do you talk about other things as well? Well, um, I do talk about other things. Um, You know, they are mostly inspired from things that are in the book. So a lot of times when I do talk, I do kind of draw from examples from the book and, and things that happen in the book. But I do um, go out and speak to groups, um, primarily schools at this point, you know, where I am talking about the different, you know, I have 20 different um, subjects and I keep adding to that, um, you know, that, that I can talk about. And you know, and it's mostly about inspiring people. It's about inspiring people to, you know, to find a passion, to to find that superhero moment inside of themselves and, you know, to make a plan to go after it because, you know, nobody can give you permission for your dreams. You're the only person that can do that. And if you're waiting around for somebody to tell you what you're enough, you're going to, you know, you're going to be old regretting that you didn't just do it yourself. So a lot of what I do speak about is is inspiring people to to go out and and find that thing that that really lights them up, that really makes their world important. Because without it, it's just drudgery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just a life of drudgery. So it's like if you have to work, you might as well make it something you're passionate about and that you love. You know that gets you out of bed every single day. Mm-hmm. So is writing that thing for you? 
Um, you know, writing is that thing for me, but, you know, uh, as we talked a little bit before we started recording is like, I find that, you know, writing was the thing that started me off, but I have had so many other doors open to me with the speaking and the, um, interviews and the live events and, you know, being involved in the writing community and, um, you know, it, it, it's there's so many passion projects that I have and that I want to do that now I'm having to sit there and go, well, wait, okay, which one is important right now? Because I can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this happens a lot. You know, it's like we go through life and we, we have all these ideas and we never pursue them. And then we start pursuing one and then we realize, oh my goodness, it's like, I can have it all, but you know, again, you have to temper it because it's like, I still do have to spend time with my family. I still, you know, have to spend time with my husband. I still have to refill myself and I still love to read. So it's like, you know, it's all about balance mm -hmm. now. Absolutely. So. I, I, something I've kind of developed throughout the show is, um, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think that's a good example of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the final thing that I introduced you as was an inspirer. Um, yes. I think we have a good sense of what you mean by that after hearing you speak <laughs> a little bit. But tell me a little bit more about that. Why is that something that's important to you? Well, you know, I, I really think that we don't have enough people that inspire us. We have a lot of people that, you know, bring out the negative. And this is something that I talk about. It's like we are so ready to believe the worst possible thing that anybody can say to us or that we can say to ourselves. But when somebody says something positive, we always question it. We're just like, no, wait, there's a catch. You know? <laughs> it's like, there, you know, what is it that they want from me? You know, nobody compliments you without, you know, a reason. And I, I find that sad. I find it, it's sad, but I also find it interesting. So it's like my job as an inspirer is to find new and unique ways to get them to believe in themselves. And one of the things I try to tell people is, you know, I will totally believe in you until you're ready to do it for yourself. Because that's all it takes a lot of times is somebody else believing that you can. You know, for me, you know, three years ago, was Carrie Oberbrunner and telling me that I could write a book and publish it. I'd written multiple books and just stuck them in drawers. I just never thought that anybody would care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he stepped up and he's like, no, he's like, you can do this. He's like, even if it's only one child that reads it, he goes, isn't that better than it being stuck in a drawer and nobody mm -hmm. reading it? And it's like, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've already met multiple children that have love this book and as I told you earlier you know the, the the kid from from LA and it's like so I'm so rewarded from taking that step but I know I wouldn't have done it had he not been there and believed in me and pushed me to do that and it, it wasn't even so much a push it was just he was always there when I was doubting mm -hmm. and that's great for me so I think that's what I have to give back to the world is to be that person you know that that when you're stuck and it's just like, it doesn't look like your dream's going to come true. You know, I can sit there and go, Hey, you know, cause sometimes, you know, the bridge you're building right now with all of the problems and all of the things and challenges that you're facing is exactly what you need to get you to the other side where your dream is. So don't discount it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't look exactly how you would expect it to look. 
Um, no. That doesn't mean you're not going to get to the place that you want to get to. Right. And everybody's journey is different. It's like, you know, my journey is not a straight line. You know, mm-hmm. I had a straight line plan. It's like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and on and on and on. And it's like, and it's kind of gone off and veered off course. But you know what? I find those moments so exciting because then they open doors that I never even realized were there. Mm-hmm. You know, which is amazing to me because you just don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so I try one of my my big promises to myself is to not go to bed at night without learning something new. Even if I have to Google what's <laughs> new in the world today. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, it's just just to do that because, you know, if, if I stop learning, then I stop teaching mm-hmm. and I stop sharing and I can't inspire if I have nothing to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very wise. I like that. So so before we're going to move into the womanhood questions in just a moment. But before we do that, um, tell my listeners where they can find your book. Well, um, they can find me in all of my social media, all the purchase links um, for retailers to purchase my book. It's available wherever books are sold. And they can um, look at my events page for upcoming places I will be and past places that I've been and interviews I've done. And also I have a new page up for um, contacting me for speaking or author visit engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, that is all on my website at DonnaSigerCowan.com. Mm-hmm. Make it easy for everybody. <laughs> Great. All right. So head there if you're interested in any of those things. Yes. All right. So now, Donna, I'd like to hear... Um, just a little bit more of what your story is. So like your background and how you got to where you are now. Well, like I said, we talked about it a little bit, you know, I kind of felt lost in inside my family, you know, and so I became kind of an introverted child and very shy, you know, and kind of, you know, hiding in the corners and stuff like that. And, you know, until I, you know, became an, um, a teenage adult. And, you know, at that point, you know, I actually married very young because that was what was expected of me. I lived, you know, in a, um, you know, in the South and, you know, women are expected to, you know, go to school, grow up, learn all these, you know, womenly things and, you know, then get married. And, and that's what I did. And then, of course, next comes, you know, babies. Well, in 19 years old, I was told I can't have children, and, which was devastating in and of itself to me. Um, coming from a large family and wanting to have children of my own, but even worse was that my husband divorced me because of this. And so then it kind of took another blow to my self-esteem where I just felt like, okay, well, I don't deserve anything. And so I went through multiple marriages, you know, thinking, you know, okay, you know, this guy doesn't want to have children, so he's okay for me. You know, this is what I deserve. And then an older man that doesn't want children because he has children and And it just became this very weird, you know, kind of self-destructive self-flagellation of, you know, you know, not being a woman. And it was very counterproductive to what I wanted to do. And then um, when I I divorced um, my last, well, not my last husband, but the last divorce I went through um, was because I was diagnosed with neuromuscular disease and um, was taken off work. And I was at that time trying to raise my granddaughter, which I did eventually adopt. And I'm 
now her mother, which is <laughs> another odd, you know, thing in your life. But you know what? You, you get over it. You live through it. And um, so it was really hard for me. It was like life was this struggle. And it was just like I felt like I was just sinking further and further. And then I just realized it's like you're the only person in the world that can stop this. You're the one that's allowing people to treat you this way. You're allowing your own thoughts to defeat you. And, um, you know, it's been a fight. It's been 25 years that I've been fighting to get through this disease, get through my own self-confidence issues and self-esteem issues and get up and move on. Um, You know, I have to give a lot of credit to my current husband. You know, he came to me at a time when I felt like all men were garbage and, you know, that they literally were not worth the time or anything. And, you know, he he said to me, he's like, "You, you need a good man. And he goes, and I'm glad I'm here to be that person. And he has been for 25 years. This man has been through the worst possible things that a marriage could have to go through, you know, and and seeing, you know, his wife be sick. At one point I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. You know, I've had multiple surgeries and and through it all, we're raising children. And uh, so this has been, you know, an eye opener to me that really there are. You know, and it changed my outlook on everything because of this one person that actually finally saw me as who I was and treated me how I deserved, whether I knew I deserved it or not. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like, I feel like I need to tell my story so that people, you know, that are going through these kinds of things in their life can see that. You don't have to. You don't have to continue to beat yourself up. You don't have to continue to live down in the basement and hide away. You know, it's like you deserve to be in the sunlight and you deserve good things. And, you know, as soon as you recognize that, the world will too. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so thankful to you for being willing to tell your story. I, I think this is really important for people to hear. Well, yeah, it, it is important. And it's it's like, you know, I think a lot of times we're afraid. It's like, you know, almost, especially for me being a Southern woman, it's like, you know, this is, this is airing my dirty laundry. And it's like, you know, but, you know, we need to hear those stories. We need to know that we're not alone. Because when you feel alone, you feel like there aren't any answers. Mm-hmm. Um And when you find out that there are other people like you, then you can at least talk to each other or you can see what they did and see if it will help you. It like it at least gives you that little glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's that's the one thing that we need more than anything. We don't need the answers. We can figure those out for ourselves. We just need that hope that Mm -hmm. it can be different. Absolutely. And like seeing someone that's in the same kind of bad position that you're in who has gotten out of it, I think can mm-hmm. be very powerful to, to know that it's possible. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still, you know, I still battle this neuromuscular disease every single day. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is part of the reason that I talk about courage and, um, you know, these things so much because, you know, for me, there are some days it takes every ounce of courage that I have to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. But I also know that if I do, I'll feel better. I'll feel accomplished. If I stay, then I will only just feel defeated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, it's not about how much I can get done. It's just 
how much I can push myself to try. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's the try in life that that's the the mountain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very inspiring. Um, I've had a couple other guests on the show who have dealt with chronic illness and it's just as, you know, one of those things that I think we need to hear more stories of people who have been in those situations that, you know, it, it is okay to just, if getting out of bed is the only thing that you can do all day, um, cause that's still something. Right. And it's, you know, I look at it this way. It's like, you know, it's, it's part of the advice that a lot of writers get about writing. They're saying, okay, you can't edit a blank page. Mm-hmm. And they're right. And it's the same thing. You can't make anything out of a blank life. So if you do nothing, your life is blank and it's like the days have no meaning. So, you know, go out and live your life, whatever that means. If that means, you know, today I got out of bed and I put on two socks. Hey, you know what? You did that. Yep. You know, or today I got out of bed and I got fully dressed. Well, you know, mm-hmm. hey, that, that's, a, that's a, you know, red letter day, you know, mm-hmm. in some people's cases. It's just you have to define what's important in your mm-hmm. life and what's an accomplishment And don't forget to celebrate those because I think this is another thing that that we fail to do is we're so busy trying to get to that next level that we forget everything that we've accomplished and we don't celebrate those. And then it becomes, you know, a very difficult task that we are just overwhelmed by. So it's like, you know, if you're feeling a little down and you are, you know, doing all the right things, then maybe turn around and look at how far you've come. Mm -hmm. Look at what you've accomplished. Because I think, well, no, I guarantee that you're going to see some pretty amazing things that you really didn't think you were going to be able to do when you started. Mm -hmm. And I know for me that writing down accomplishments or looking back on accomplishments, even on just like a day-to-day basis, helps me so much. Because you know, I'll get to the end of like a busy work week and I'll be like, I like, I don't feel like I did anything this week. And then if I sit down and really think about it, I really (laughs) have done a lot of things and gotten in it, you know, in some cases it feels like I was just like getting through, but I accomplished things. I got them done. (laughs) Right. And you, you have to give yourself credit for those. And as women, it's like, we tend to discredit all the things that we do at home. Mm hmm. As accomplishments, it's like, you know, yeah, you know what, maybe I didn't, you know, write as many hours as I wanted to this week, but you know what, I got laundry done, I cooked dinner Mm -hmm. every night, you know, I went to the grocery store, I, you know, I cleaned the house, you know, what, it's like, we have to give ourselves credit for those things that most people, including our families, take for granted. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, and so we tend to take them for granted. We're just like, oh, but you know what? It takes time. It takes energy. Mm-hmm. It takes focus. So yeah. give yourself some credit for those things too. Absolutely. And like, you know, in, in fact, on my calendar, every, you know, every day, it's like I have down at the bottom a little space for what I call personal items mm-hmm. that I do, you know, like going to the dentist, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, going and getting a manicure, mm-hmm. a massage, you know, going to the grocery store and all those things. So I remember to celebrate that I did get all those things done mm-hmm. that I was supposed to just as a wife and mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are things that are, that you have to do, but they're hard to do. Right. But yeah, and again, <laughs> they get in the way of, right. of all the other things that we want to do because, you know, our family and our home life 
are important to us and we want those to be focal points for us. So mm-hmm. it's like, we can't just say, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to do laundry for the next month because I've got to, you know, I got to write this book. <laughs> I mean, as much as I would love to do that, that's not reality. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, sometimes it's harder not to do those things like yes, laundry. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like I, I did find out that I can't write if my kitchen is dirty. Mm-hmm. It's it's the weirdest thing. It's because it's like I'll start working and all I can think about is I should go in there and load the dishwasher. I should wipe the counters down. I should put the things away. <laughs> See, I do that, but when I do that, it's procrastination. <laughs> uh, so, Donna, I'm going to ask you my my big question now. So what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2019? Well, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things, you know, it means to me that, you know, that you're being a nurturer, that, you know, that you're creating a, you know, a safe space for those people around you, whether it's your family, whether it's yourself, whether it's your friends or whether it's just people that you know, it's like we as women are nurturers. We, you know, we gather, you know, people into groups and make them feel safe. And, um, you know, as much as, as we fight against that, you know, to try and be, you know, big and bad, it's like, it's still inherent in our DNA that this is what we do. We create family, community, the village, you know, the, the, the safe environment. And so I think that, you know, some of these things have gone by the wayside as, as we're, you know, trying to, to reach out and become, you know, everything at once, you know, the, the super women in the world, it's like, that's fine. And it's great. And I applaud you for that. But but don't forget that the world needs that safe place. So, you know, don't discount that as being a, a very lofty goal. And it's like, I want to be the person that my children and my family runs to when they need comfort, when they need someone to tell them that it's going to be okay when they need somebody to say that, you know, the world is not such a horrible place. Um, so, you know, for me, that that's a big thing, you know, that I want to get back to is being, you know, the creator of that village. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. <laughs> so along those lines, what is your least favorite part of being a woman? And what is your favorite part of being a woman? Um, well, I would say the hardest part is, you know, is people expect us to have all the answers. You know, it's like, it's like we have some kind of inherent knowledge as a mother and a wife and, you know, a parent and stuff that it's like, you know, just right off the top of their head, you know, we know how to like make a, you know, a a cake and a bouquet for a, you know, last minute birthday party. And it's mm-hmm. like, why is this hysterical? And I'm like, well, um do you know how to make it? And it's like, well, Pinterest is over here, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's that, that we are, you know, expected to have all of these working knowledge of everything. It's like the cooking, the, you know, the proper way to clean things and laundry and, you know, and arrange a house. It's like, I am so terrible at uh, decorating my house. <laughs> I'm so much better at it. I'm just like, here you do it and you know so it's like I think that's the hardest thing is is giving up the the thing where people really do do turn to you and 
expect you to have all the answers. And I, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I fully admit I don't. <laughs> Actually, it's funny that you say that because now I'm in my 30s and I do call my mom and expect her to have an answer for every single thing. <laughs> and I'm looking back and, you know, by the time when she was my age, she had me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like I there's a lot that I don't know, and I wonder if she felt the same way when she was my age, but was expected to know everything. Right. It, it, it's really the hardest thing. But, you know, my favorite thing is, like I said before, I get to be the person that they run to mm-hmm. when things don't go right or when things do go right. It's like I... I like to feel like I am that port of the storm, that beacon on the rock, whatever it is that they need, because I am standing there and I'm solid. And that is wonderful to me that my family and my friends feel that no matter what, I'm always going to be there. So that's the greatest feeling for me as a woman is to inspire that kind of passion and reliability in you know, in my children, in my grandchildren, in my family, in in my friends. It's just, I love being able to do that. And I think it's a little harder for men to do that because I don't think they feel as empathetic as we do. I don't think they recognize things early on. And so it's, it's wonderful feeling for me that, that they come to me and say, Hey, you know, I had a bad day, you know, just, I just need a hug or, you know, I, I had this amazing thing happen and they know I'm going to cheer for him no matter how bad I feel. Mm -hmm. So that, that is the greatest thing for me as a woman. Mm -hmm. I love that. So this is then connected to um, Mm -hmm. the book with the courage of a mouse and um, Mm -hmm. steps to, Wait, was the first one releasing fear of abandonment? So, um, yeah, these are my top three tips for trying to release your fears of abandonment. Number one is like that you need to recognize those individual fears that are within you and give them a name and emotion. Because I think a lot of times we kind of ball all of our fears together into one horrible emotion and we can't really separate all the fears that go into it. It's like, you know, being afraid of the dark is not as much of fear of the dark as it's fear of the unknown. It's fear of the unexpected. It's also fear of your own imagination and what you think might happen. So it's like separating out those individual fears that kind of come under the moniker of fear of the dark are a little easier to deal with. So you have to give them a name and you have to give them an emotion, which, you know, a lot of times is, you know, the, you know, the heart pounding, the, the sweating, the, the shaking, the, you know, the uncontrollable whatever. So you have to give that to them. And number two is like, you have to create a plan to recognize those fears and the emotions attached to them and what triggers them. Mm-hmm. Because triggering fear is the biggest thing that we need to watch for and make a list. It's like, Is it you're only afraid of the dark when you're alone or are you afraid of the dark at any time? Are you afraid of the dark when you're only in your room or is it every room? Is it, uh, is it a fear of the dark in a room you're unfamiliar with or does a small light 
keep you from being afraid? Does a flashlight give you comfort? These are the kinds of things that you need to recognize as the triggers to your fear. It's like, what is triggering that fear? And then try and make a, a plan or a strategy to, to change that, you know, have some kind of a flag to warn you when those emotions It's like, you know, do you sweat? Do, does your heart raise? Do you feel dread? You know, stomach pangs, you know, what kind of physical manifestations does this fear trigger? And be prepared with something to redirect, you know, towards positive thoughts or actions, you know, if I'm reading a book, does that distract me from being in a dark room? If I'm, um, you know, imagining, you know, something happening in, in a movie, a different ending to a movie, it's like, does that take me away from that? You know, if, if I'm counting, you know, when I'm, you know, trying to go to sleep, does that distract me from my fears? So you kind of have to, to find whatever works for you to distract you, to redirect you, to get you away from those fears and try to make it into a positive experience. Because I think the more that you do this, the less likely it becomes fear and it's just become a habit that you don't understand. Because again, it it entails so many different levels of emotions and um, fears, you know, stacked one on top of the other that they all become melded into this, this mass of neurosis that you don't want to deal mm-hmm. with. So, you know, and then I have, you know, my, my three, um, tips from going from fear to fears. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, this is kind of my thing and it's just, you know, you have to recognize, give those fears a voice and try and diminish them. We just talked about that. Then, you know, again, replace, redirect and release that fear, you know, let it go. It's like, if you're afraid of the dark, Be afraid of the dark. There's no shame in any of your fears. It's like, own those fears. It's like, tell people your fears. Don't, and don't allow them to force you into situations that you're uncomfortable with. Because this is where I find that a lot of these fears become very deep seated is when somebody has pushed them to give up that fear and they're not ready to. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't allow that to happen to it. And then, you push yourself beyond your limits when you're ready to step out, you know, and you can, you know, embrace change, you know, embrace these changes that you're going to make to kind of redirect your thoughts, redirect your, your ideas, you know, is it reading a book before bedtime? Is it, you know, drinking a cup of tea, you know, changing your habits to kind of minimize these problems. And again, we're, we are using, you know, the, the fear of the dark as an example, and then expect the best. It's like, if you are so caught up in your own imagination about the worst possible thing that was happening, you know, try to redirect your thinking to think, okay, well, what, what is the best thing that could come out of the dark? Instead of a monster or somebody trying to hurt me, or it's like, what if an angel showed up and talked to me? Oh, you know, interesting. You know, what, what, if, what if, you know, a, a famous person, you know, showed up to, to do, you know, a, a concert or something for me? You know, try and redirect your thoughts into something good or something positive. It's like, what can I, you know, what if, you know, my, my favorite, you know, childhood book came to life in you know in this musical magical story that just laid out in front of me in the dark it's like you can see how these things will change how you deal with it so you know again recognize 
the problem, give it voice, try to diminish it, replace it, redirect it, release it, you know, let it go. Just let it go. You be you, I'll be me. And then, you know, you push you beyond your limits and embrace change and expect the best. Mm -hmm. And I think you will find that very quickly those fears are going to go to the background of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Those are great words of wisdom. As we we approach the end of the episode here. So I just have a quick story of subversion um, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to wrap up. Sure. (laughs) So this is a really quick one today and I already kind of told Donna about this already. So listeners, uh, my story of subversion today is about Mackenzie Bezos, who is Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. And I just read that, so she, in their divorce, because they divorced earlier this year, um, she became a billionaire. She's one of the wealthiest women in the world now because of this divorce, and she's worth $36 billion. And that was billion with a B. Um, And she has pledged to give half of that to charity um, by signing the Giving Pledge. And so the Giving Pledge is a pledge that wealthy people make to give away to charity half of their, um, their I don't know if it's their worth, or ha- half of their earnings or their worth. Um, and it was created by, I think, Warren Buffett and then um, Bill and Melinda Gates. Um, and so, you know... For people like me who don't, will never see a billion dollars or a million dollars in her entire lifetime, um, it's, I guess I'm kind of baffled in some ways about people that have this much money um, and knowing a lot of the problems that we have in our society that could be fixed with some of the money that these people have. um, I guess I just wanted to highlight this because I think it's a step in the right direction, um, donating half of what you have to charity and um, making sure that people that don't have anything are having something. Um, I think that's important. So I just wanted to highlight that. I, I'm i a little conflicted, as you can see with it, but I just found it interesting that she is giving away half of what she has to people who don't have anything. So that's my story of subversion. <laughs> Donna, did you well, have you one? Or, oh, no, go ahead. No, I, I, I find that amazing because um, I think what we forget a lot of times is where her heart is. Her heart is in the right place, whether it right. does do the amount of good that we hope it does because it's such a large amount. doesn't matter. The fact that she is willing to give up half of what she has, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to make a better world is what we need to focus on. And I think it's amazing and she should be applauded. And, um, I personally think we should go out and tweet it to the world. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you on that. I guess it's just so mind blowing to me because it's so far away than anything that I can imagine, you know, (laughs) like I just can't imagine having that much. (laughs) Well, but see, that's just it. She mm-hmm. she just gave you that um, that gate point mm-hmm. of what it is like to have that much and to still feel like she's she has enough. Right. She has more than enough, and so she is at a point in her life that she can give away half of her, mm-hmm. of what she has, and and that is amazing to mm-hmm. me. And it's like. If, you know, we all took a little bit from that and it's like, look in your pocket, I've got $10. Here's a person mm-hmm. that's hungry. You know what? Give them five. Right. You, it's the same thing. It, you know, it's not the amount, 
it's the heart behind it Mm -hmm. and what that generosity can do to the person that you're giving it to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, be an example like her and go out and, and give when you can half of what you have. Mm -hmm. I know we can't always do it every time, but you know, you can start small. Right. For sure. Yeah. I like that kind of thinking of it as like giving half of what you have at the time. Like you said, $10 giving five if you can. Um, Yeah. So, so yeah. So Mackenzie Bezos, you go and give those billions <laughs> of dollars to charity. Um, all right, Donna. So we've reached the end of our episode. So why don't you tell my listeners one more time um, where they can find you and everything that like your book and everything that goes along with that. Okay. Well, you can reach me at my um, website, you know, my book, my social media, the events page, all my contact information is on my website, Donna Sager Cowan, along with the information if you want to uh, connect with me to have an author visit or a speaking engagement. So um, that's pretty easy. Donna Sager Cowan.com. I'll be there. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Donna. This was great. Thank Um, you. And thank you, listeners, to li- for listening to Womankind. If you need to get in touch with Womankind, you can find me at www.womankindpodcast.com, on Facebook or Instagram at womankindpodcast, or email me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.